So we're turning to the last uh, chapter of the book of Titus um, as we come to the conclusion, actually, of our, of our, of our studies in this, in this short letter uh, that Paul wrote to him. And uh, we're going to read from chapter 3 and verse number 8 through to the end. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to un- insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts. So um, this portion, of course, is is Paul signing off uh, his letter. It's the closing note uh, of what he's trying to get at. And uh, it's really all kind of summed up by feel, and this is certainly the emphasis that I want to take tonight uh, from uh, the end of verse 14, where he says, And let our people learn to devote themselves uh, to good works. Now, for such a small letter, you know, you can easily flick over and miss Titus as you're, you're going through. Such a small letter. He actually has an awful lot to say about the importance uh, of good works. And that's really what I'm going to be trying to emphasize tonight. So if I can take you through just how many times it's mentioned in this uh, small letter. So for instance, if you looked at chapter 2 and verse 7, Titus is to show himself in all respects to be a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 14 um, We're told that the Lord Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, we are to be obedient and we are to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, we are to be careful to devote ourselves to good work. And then again in the passage that we read. And all of this, I feel, is part and parcel of what maybe is one of the main verses of the whole letter, which is chapter 2, verse 10, where it says that in everything, Christian people have to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So if you adorn somebody, you know, you, you make them beautiful, you know. And uh, so what we're meant to do by our good works is that we are to make the gospel attractive. We are to make the gospel 
beautiful in the eyes of those who say, we have to dress the gospel. It's an unusual phrase, isn't it? To adorn the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of things, uh, a couple of headings that I'm going to use to try and help us understand this subject of devotion to good works. Number one, I want us to understand that there's a sense of balance here. And, And what I say is this. This is, of course, a very important subject, but the balance of it is one that perhaps at times we've not always got right. Um, And I understand why that is. So, for instance, if you went to chapter 3, verse 5, it makes the point there that God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And, of course, this is a big issue all over the world, that people have this misunderstanding that I can be right with God because I can contribute. Religion means me doing something. It is working towards my salvation. And again and again, the writers of the New Testament and gospel preachers today have to try and and redress that, that people are not justified by the works of the law, but it's by faith in Christ. And so we have tended, of course, to major on that quite correctly at times, but there is a balancing act. And sometimes I worry that as part of the balancing act, we have actually minimized the whole idea of being devoted to good works. Now, one of the key passages on this, of course, is that uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Although we're told that it's by grace we are saved and not by works, we're then told that we are in fact God's handiwork, created in Christ to perform good works that God has appointed in advance for us to do. That's a very encouraging verse, actually, to think that here's my life, you know, I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but God in his craftsmanship, in his workmanship, has actually created good works in advance that I will do for him. So that is the purpose, one of the purposes and objectives of being born into God's family. So that's, first of all, the idea of balance as far as this subject is concerned. Second heading is context. All right, now we're looking at our passage here. And... um, Of course, there are other things mentioned in this passage that we read other than good works. So let's let's look at how it's set uh, so that we can understand uh, the point. And there are two things really that are mentioned in this passage. And the first one is that there are a series of problems. That's from verses 9, 10, and 11. And basically what he's saying here is, here are these problems this is what good works are not. You know, he's stating it in negative terms, if you like. And the problems that are being mentioned are problems about people getting involved in foolish controversies, dissensions, arguments, quarrels. And it's, it's interesting to see that he, he talks about them, verse 9, as being unprofitable and worthless. And that's in contrast to some of the the good things earlier on, verse 8, where he talks about a trustworthy saying, things which are excellent, things that are profitable, 
And now you get all this argumentative stuff. Now, I've seen a lot of this over the years. This is a big temptation uh, as far as church circles are concerned, as far as Christian people are concerned at times. Rather than majoring on the important, trustworthy, profitable things, often we have a tendency to get into discussions and arguments about this and that. You know, whether it be, you know, church practice, whether it be about election, predestination, whatever it is, or our little particular theological tribe that we're part of. And, you know, what that can often lead to, the problem that it leads to, is division. See that verse 10? As for a person who stirs up division, it leads to division among the church. Clearly, you know, that's not an example of what good works is. Interesting point. If you had the King James Version and you read verse number 10, it talks about a person who is a heretic. Now, I mention this because often we think a heretic is just somebody who's got the doctrine wrong. But a heretic, the true meaning of 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 the word heretic is somebody who is divisive. And that's how the Our translation here has put it, warn a divisive person, a heretic. So that is how how much a problem division is in the church. And so it's a little challenge, isn't it, to all of us, not to get involved in all this kind of stuff. Interestingly, I mean, there, there are some things that are very interesting, actually, and profitable about looking at some of the genealogies in the Bible. You know, I've spoken on that. Uh, in times past. What they used to do in those days is they they used to see hidden codes and hidden messages and little kind of subliminal stuff and they, you know, just built a whole thing round about this. And uh, that's really what he's he's talking against here. Now look at what he says that this um, divisive person, um, how he's got to be dealt with. It's interesting, if you were to look at Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, it follows the same pattern about somebody who needs excommunication from the church, who needs to be disciplined from the church because of some behavior. And it's the same kind of pattern after warning him once and then twice. Then the, the discipline, the excommunication takes place. That's exactly the pattern in Matthew chapter 18, if you wanted to check that up as well point to make, of course, is that any kind of discipline like this that takes place in the church is always with a view to being uh, restorative. You know, you do it in a spirit of humility. You do it uh, hoping that the person will be brought to their senses and they will come around and they will be able to be accepted back into the fellowship of the people of God again. It's not done just to be hardline. It's to be helpful. It's It's a restorative type of thing. Uh, But he mentions that anyway. So that's part of the context of good works being devoted to it. It's in contrast to the problems. And then he talks about some people. And there are four names that are mentioned here um, at verses 12 to 13. Two of the names are only mentioned here. We don't know anything more about Artemis or Zenos the lawyer. We do know something about Tychicus and about Apollos. So, for instance, if you were to turn several reference to Tychicus, Colossians 4, verse 7, and he's described there as being a beloved brother, as being a faithful minister, 
and as being a fellow servant of Christ. Apollos, we read about, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Acts 18. Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 3, it's in the context of division within the church. Some people were saying, I'm in the Apollos party. Some were saying, I'm in the Paul party. Paul says, look, let's not get into this kind of stuff. I might have planted, Apollos might have come along later and watered, but it's God that gave the increase. He was a powerful, eloquent preacher, um, and he was evidently going to be sent, along with these other guys, to help Titus out in Crete. And the whole point of mentioning these people, of course, is that by helping them on their way, how does he put it, uh, to speed them, on their way, to see that they, they lack nothing, that is an example of these good works that he's talking about. And that's all, often been the case throughout the history of the church, that there have been servants of God, evangelists, missionaries, whoever, who have traveled around preaching the gospel. And it is the responsibility of the church to show support, hospitality, generosity, encouragement to those who preach the gospel and are the servants of the word of God. And I mean, that is still the case today. It's still something that we, that is a specific example of the good works that he's talking about, specifically in the context of his uh, own situation here. And of course, this attitude is what God himself is like. This attitude of goodness. Now, Chapter 3, verse 4 makes that point. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. What is God like? God is good and he demonstrates loving kindness. And so those who are his children are to have the characteristics of their father. And that is to be goodness, good works, and kindness. And that, that is, that's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. You know, there is something wrong with somebody who says they're a Christian and they're harsh and they're cold and they're uncaring. It just doesn't add up. And of course, that's the whole point. You know, Christianity is not in word only. It's in deed. If you know these things, says the Lord Jesus, you're blessed if you do them. Faith Without works, it's dead. What good is it of saying, I believe this, when our hearts are cold and we don't respond with simple kindness and compassion to people in their need? Christian people are meant to be changed by the love of Christ and by what's done for them. That should be transmitted into their own lives. That is what God is like. Now, I'm just going to expand on this point a wee bit more because in the New Testament, there are two people specifically who are referred to as being good people. Now, of course, there were more than two people who were good people in the New Testament, but there are two people, only two, and they're specifically described in that way. And I'm going to mention them because it gives us an illustration of the way in which they showed the character of God in the good works that these good people did. So one of them is Barnabas. You might want to turn to Acts chapter 11, and we'll read about him there. Acts chapter 11, 
and at verse 24. Of course, Barnabas was a nickname. It wasn't his real name. His real name was called Joseph. He was given the nickname of Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, which means he was encouraging people so much that they just said he was the son of encouragement. You know, he was such an encourager of people. So look at Acts 11, uh, 24. Um, Barnabas, you know, verse 23. When he came and he saw the grace of God in Antioch, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So here is Barnabas, goes to where the, the, the people of God were first of all called Christians, the very first place, a place called Antioch. And uh, when he sees what God has done, the grace of God, he's, he's glad. And he's, every time you look at Barnabas, he's encouraging somebody, you know. And he, he encourages Saul of Tarsus to come down and help him in the work. He sees that there's something that he can't do himself. You know, he's got his own gifts, but he thinks there's somebody that can do a better job than him. And so he brings Saul of Tarsus, Paul, down and Paul helps in the work. And he's encouraging people into the work of God. Now that, that's a good work. That is a good work that we can all be involved in. Encouragement. You know, we need encouragers. You know, not people who pour cold water, but people who light fires, you know, and encourage people and say, you're doing a good job. Keep going. You know, press up. We, we appreciate that. Kick, could you be involved in this? This is something I think you could contribute to. Be an encourager. Be a Barnabas. Get a new nickname. You know? and, uh, and if you do that, you're devoting yourself to good work. The second person uh, is a man called Joseph. Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. This is Joseph of Arimathea. Now look at what it says about him. There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This was the man who begged Pilate for the body of Christ, took it down from the cross, buried him in his own tomb. He was a good man. Why was he a good man? He was a good man, it says, because when everybody else in the Jewish council, 70 people, stood up and said, crucify him, he's worthy, he's worthy of death, he stood up alone. Maybe with Nicodemus, he stood up alone and said, no, he did not consent. An example of a good man who did a good work. And what was the good work? The good work was to stand up for what was right when everybody else went the other way. Standing up against the tide. Do you know that quote about all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to say nothing. You, know, you want to do something good? You want to devote yourself to good works? Stand up and don't consent when injust, ill justice is being talked about and wrong is being pervied. Now, there are a number of other examples that I could give to you. Um, Dorcas from Acts 9.36 was described as being full of good works. You know, when Peter went, after she died, they showed 
Peter all the clothing that she had made uh, for the benefit of the widows and for the poor that she devoted herself to. That was a good work that she was involved in. I'll tell you a passage that I, or a verse that puts it really in context for me, actually. And it's Romans 5, verse 7. I, I, like, this. I like this one. Look at what it says here. Um, it says, in, for, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But he's making the point that there's a, almost like a kind of pecking order. Okay, if I was given the choice, would I step into the breach? Would I die for a righteous man or would I die for a good man? Well, it would hardly ever happen for a righteous man. But maybe for a good man, somebody might dare to die. So, would you rather be called a great man or woman, or a good man or woman? This is really saying, as far as the pecking order is concerned, good, good is better. Okay? Be a good person. Devote yourself to good works. Now, we've talked about the context. We've talked about balance. I want to just make, say a few words about some key elements of devoting yourself to good works. Um, and I'm going to take this really from some of the statements of the Lord Jesus uh, from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6, very briefly, but they are important points. So, for instance, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 1 to 3, he's talking here about humility, and he's talking about secrecy. Uh, you see how it says it here. It says, your, your right hand shouldn't know what your left hand is doing when you give to the needy. When you're involved in religious things, you know, don't make a big circus about it. It's not to be a big production, big song and dance, you know, doing it in public, let everybody see what I'm doing. What we should be content with is that we do these things in secret and it's enough that my father who sees in secret will reward me one day. That's all that matters to me, is to help the people, and God knows. You know? And I will receive my reward one day. That is one of the key elements in devoting ourselves to good works. Humility and secrecy. Do it quietly. It's enough that God knows what you're doing. Second one, What's my motivation in being involved in good works? Well, if you turn back to Matthew 5 and uh, verse number 16, it says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see, what? Your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, that's the whole point of it. I want to honor God. God gets the glory for what I'm doing. In fact, there maybe is an argument for saying, now, we're not decrying, of course, any good works that anybody does. But from the point of view of the motivation, the purpose, the point, the objective, the whole reason for me involving myself in that, I mean, I think it can be summed up by the words of Christ in chapter 7 of Matthew, 
around about verse 18, 17 and 18, where he says, you know, a healthy tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a diseased tree doesn't bear good fruit. You know, it's the, it's the tree, a good tree, that brings good fruit. And so it's really from the right motivation and the right objective and the right reasons that the right stuff is produced. And so motivation is, is a key thing. And then the third key element that I just wanted to draw to your attention is that famous one from Matthew 25. You don't really need to turn to this one. It's the whole point of seeing Christ in other people. You know, it's that one, inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, you did it unto me. When, when did we visit you in prison, Lord? When did we give you a drink of cold water? Well, inasmuch as you did it to the least of one of these, you did it actually to me. Now, it is absolutely true that when we do a good work for a fellow child of God, that Christ is absolutely in them. You know, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, that's the definition of being a Christian. Christ lives within us. And so when you do it to somebody who's a Christian, you're doing it for Christ. And that's, that's the way we need to learn to look at things. I'm, I'm doing this as though I was doing it for Christ. It's a key element. But even if somebody is not a Christian, we need to see them as somebody who is made in the image of God, with the touch of God upon them, corrupted, but the touch of God upon their lives. And that's what Christ would have done. That's what Christ did do. The whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? You know, despite him being a Samaritan, you know, racially, religiously outcast, the man comes to him in all his need, and that's a picture of Christ coming to us in all our needs, wounded and bleeding and helping us. We need to see Christ in people. And that is a key element. Now, just as we close, sorry for just going over a wee bit. This is the last point. In the last heading, if these are key elements, what about specific examples? As I think of devoting myself, in terms of this passage here, to good works, you know, we've learned what it meant for Titus to help these men on their way and support and encourage them. What, what could I be doing quietly before the Lord that could be under this category of devoting myself to good works. I was with Mark and Caroline around this afternoon. I was, I was reminded of something that Mark's mum used to do many years ago, uh, quietly before she passed away, um, in, the, in the area of where she worshipped. When she got the paper for the week, and she, she, she saw in the death column people who had died from that area, she used to write them a little card, a condolences card. You know, put in a little verse of scripture. You know, just to just to meet people in their in their needs. She did that for years. You know, just a very apparently simple thing, writing to people. I've got some friends who are accountants. Some of them are now retired. But what they do is that they give of their services and expertise to churches and to Christian groups to help them with their books and all the rest of it to help them function properly. I know of an organization 
called Brass Tacks. We heard about it in India, actually. And these are guys who are just builders, who've got practical skills, and they go around just erecting buildings, fixing stuff, putting things in here and there. But it's useful to help the missionaries and other people in those kind of situations. Visitation. You might not even be aware that we help to support here in Hebron uh, an old people's home up in Summerhill. Burton Florence and others are involved in that. We visit some old people. I used to, again, as part of my home visits and the surgery, and I was always taken by a, a verse that was up on the wall, you know, uh, taken from one of the prophets. And it says, you know, I will not be forgotten by you in my old age. You know, sometimes we do forget people, don't we? Burton Florence and others help a little service that we, we conduct to, to encourage them. Maybe that's something that, that you could be involved with and helping with. And on and on we could go. There are many isolated, poorly supported Christian workers all around the world uh, that we could encourage quietly. Just a story as I close. My father used to tell us um, about this particular worker and uh, a guy had written him a letter. Uh, but in the letter, he'd included, you know, I don't know how much money it was, you know, 50 quid or something like that, in the envelope as well. And the guy wrote back and said, um, I really appreciated your letter. It was very encouraging. I particularly appreciated the explanatory notes that came along with it, you know, and something just like that to encourage somebody in their work. So, you know, our people, he says, our people, that's us. We need to learn to devote ourselves to good works. Why? Well, it's not to gain favor with God, but it's because faith without works is dead. And it's because it will prevent us being unfruitful. And because there are so many cases, as it says here, of urgent need. Devotion good works. Lord, thank you for this passage and what it brings to us. Uh, Lord, we recognize our shortcomings, but we thank you for the wisdom, for the guidance and instruction of your word. And we just pray tonight that again, you will open doors for us. Give us sensitivity and awareness ourselves to look beyond our own situation and circumstances to the needs of others and so demonstrate the love of Christ to them. So we pray a blessing upon us. Thank you for being in your presence. May the word of God and the presence of Christ be our blessing this week as we ask in his name. Amen.